This is Future X. Hey, it's Joe Hobbs. This is the future of activism. Jamal Green is a Black Lives Matter activist who ran for the office of mayor of Chicago. He was a surrogate and speaker for Bernie Sanders. He's a dad, civil rights advocate, and community organizer. Jamal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so first thing I'd like to know is what got you interested in activism? You know, how did you take that leap into being an activist? The truth of the matter is that activism is not something that you sign up for, okay? It's not a job that you uh, look forward to as you grow up. Um, Activism is something that you're called into uh, because you have a heart uh, for the people. Uh, And if you are somebody who planned to be in it, nine times out of ten, you have other motives. It was never my design to get involved in organizing and activating uh, with issues in the community. There was more of my mission to make sure that young people had a voice and to make sure people were treated fair. I mean, it wasn't until the Laquan McDonald video happened where a young man was shot 16 times by a police officer that um, forced me onto the front lines to speak up about the issues that are facing urban communities and to advocate for policy changes in the police department, um, which essentially all became the activism um, that uh, and a lot of my work becoming activism during that time. But um, it wasn't something I designed. It was just something I was called on to so that we can have a better society and a better community for people of color throughout the city of Chicago and then throughout our country by joining a presidential campaign. What was it like when you first got out there? I'm guessing you went out and protested. Am I correct in guessing that? Yeah. So what would that feel like? Well, you know, at the time, as is, is, is I'm sure is pretty different, but at the time it was, you know, many of us were angry, right? It's, it's one of those feelings where you just seen a video of someone shot 16 times and was on the ground by the third bullet, <laughs> you know? So he literally was shooting at him while he was laying on the ground, lifeless. Um, and you don't even shoot a deer like that, right? Because you'll mess up the meat. You know, and, and it's just disgusting to watch this police officer treat him um, less than any animal or any, anything, you know. And so it was angry. You know, we were angry. We were taken to the streets. You know, we, 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 we wanted to make sure our voices were heard. Um, and that's essentially what uh, the feeling was going out to lead protests and um, being involved, being in, in the, on the front lines and helping me to, to lead was was hard because then you know you have to take your anger and you got to take your emotions and um, understand that you are leading thousands of people behind you um, and you have to make the best decisions for all of us to be safe and make it home but make sure that our voices were heard in the in the correct way so um, uh, it was tough at, at times uh, but but you know we we tried to make sure that every moment um, we also enjoyed gathering together and showing that we can have some sort of unity for something that was just uh, for justice and 
um, against something that was unjust. So did you ever feel scared going out there? And if you did, how did you kind of work through that? No, you know, uh, I was never scared. You know, when you are in a situation where, you know, you uh, have seen a video like this, when you have been a victim of police brutality and, um, you know, racial profiling, which most of us have been growing up in our communities, um, it's not a scary moment. You know, we've, we've already been through the, all of the fears of being pulled out of our cars, being treated a certain way, of being talked to a certain way throughout our lifetime that, you know, at these moments when it's time to fight, you know, all of that fear is out the window, right? And so, um, it wasn't a scary moment. It was a moment where, um, we, we, we had a mission, we had a strategy and we wanted to fulfill it. What are you currently working on now, like in this moment? Well, in this moment, um, you know, uh, I'm more because I've gained a lot of influence on the activism tip. I'm more ushering the new breed of activists in the city of Chicago um, and allowing them to lead, you know. And at this moment, with having the influence and being able to connect with powerful people around the country and, and, and definitely here in the state, it's more about advocating for policy, right? Sitting at the table and, and pushing those folks in power uh, to make sure that they're moving forward issues that uh, or solutions that benefit our communities um, and helping to elect folks, which we have since the Juan McDonald movement. The majority of people that were in power have been unseated. So we have unseated majority of people in power in the state of Illinois because of the Laquan McDonald movement. So from the state's attorney, from the mayor, of course, I ran for the mayor and I stepped back and supported my friend who ended up winning. And so advising her um, and making sure that we have a, a activism is now, uh, uh, activism now has a voice, you know, uh, at the seat of the, uh, at the table uh, and pushing forward issues that matter to us. So that's what we're working on. And now also building the first 24-hour community center on the south side so that we can reduce violence. So um, we focus a lot on uh, corrupt politicians and police brutality in our communities, but we got to make sure home is straight as well. So we want to have a safe haven for uh, young people and be able to tackle the issues that we're facing in our communities. The Laquan McDonald face, you know, whether it was mental health um, and having a place to go and mentorship and things of that sort. You ran for mayor in 2018. What did you learn from running for mayor in Chicago? Well, of course, learning from there, I learned a lot, you know, about the political system. But you know, it was um, uh, it was probably one of the funnest things that I've ever done, you know. And you know, being the youngest person ever run uh, for mayor, you know, gave me I was the most, you know, uh, viewed candidate, as you would say, nationally uh, as far as uh, media wise and folks. Uh, stayed up to date with the policies that were moving forward and uh, the things that I was saying. And, and so it was, it was a, a, a very enjoyable thing um, when you're able to move forward policy and media picks it up and people are responding to it. Um, you're able to, to start talking about what the city needs. And it, and it was a moment where a lot of the policies and things that I said on the campaign are now mainstream things in the city um, and even a couple throughout the country. Uh, same as Bernie Sanders, you know, being on this campaign made me run my campaign the same way. And because I was the youngest candidate and everybody else were older and they were basically trying to run based on the fact that, oh, I'm the CEO of this, so I've had this job. I was one who was running on policy, you know, make police officers care insurance, 
we need to get to move forward this plan and get laid out the water. You know, we were always moving forward policies first that no other candidates were moving forward. And, um, you know, that was enjoyable meeting folks all across the city and, and getting the support and love all across the city, going to colleges and high schools where uh, folks, uh, other candidates wouldn't go and get standing ovations and kids with their phones out, you know, like just acting like they were the, the biggest fans in the world and crying and everything else. Like I was some pop star celebrity showed that young people wanted some change and they, they love to see somebody that, related to them and understood the change that needs to happen. And that was a great motivation for me, knowing that those young people are now um, going to be um, current voters and, and voters for uh, my future. So uh, it, was an, it was enjoyable, but I learned that politics is dirty. I learned that, um, you know, uh, we have a lot of election laws we need to change and I'm advocating for. And uh, so that it's not continued to be a rich rich person's game because essentially it is um and you can use your money to move for move any candidate out the way who don't have as much money as you uh which is why our governor spent 200 million dollars to win but you know he's doing a way better good job than i thought he would be doing but um yeah so changing election laws to make sure that rich people are not controlling elections is, is like super important and um i learned that people want change and uh, I supported my friend who won every precinct and every ward in the city of Chicago, which has never been done in history. So um, it, that mandate for change and progressivism um, happened uh, in this election, and now we have the power. So you were um, surrogate and speaker for Bernie Sanders' campaign. What got yeah. you involved in that? Like, how did you suddenly go from previously running for mayor to being a speaker and surrogate for the Sanders campaign? Well, I was an activist um, at the time. I wasn't um, in, uh, involved politically when I was brought on to the Sanders campaign. Um, he was probably my first tap into the real political world back in 2015, 2016, uh, when uh, his campaign reached out and wanted to bring me on board as a surrogate and loved everything that we were doing on an activism tip. Um, and so... You know, I took I took advantage of it. I thought that Senator Sanders was the best candidate in the race. I still think that he is and he was this election. We still are constantly dealing with corporatist um, Democrats who continue to ruin these elections and we get nothing. Um, but at the end of the day, I wanted to fight on a national scale, you know, as I was fighting for issues here in the city. Um, he allowed me to travel with him and fight for issues on a national um, scale, with uh, especially because young people were at the forefront, and he knew that that was important to me, um, and talk about issues that really matter to our future. Um, and that's what I was able to do. So he pulled me in, and I uh, traveled with him. Even had a little bumps in the road uh, because activism never fell from me. You know, as the organizer to the only Donald Trump protest to prevent him from uh, coming to Chicago. You know, I organized that and that was during the campaign. So uh, it was it was crazy. Trump was saying that Bernie supporters would shut down his rallies and Bernie uh, uh, team took me off of a couple rallies after that, you know, because they wanted to let things simmer down. But. You know, my activism never moved out the way and, and, you know, I made it clear, like, you know, whether I was on a political campaign or not, we were going to fight for stuff that we believed in. And uh, that's exactly what we did. But 
Um, being on that campaign was amazing. And then I'm rejoining in 2020, you know, doing some of the same things, but you know, a lot of problems happen. So we're here today. One of the things I especially noticed is Bernie did an amazing job of reaching the youth um, compared to almost any other presidential yeah. candidate. He really talked to youth. How, why, yeah. how is it that you think he was so good at being able to talk to youth compared to other candidates? Well, you know, it was more about policy, right? Bernie Sanders is an old white man, right? And it, and it really compares to what I was talking about in the mayoral race here, where young people looked at me and just went crazy because they were like, wow, we have, you know, it's all over the media that we have this youngest candidate running for mayor at this age. It was just like something, you know, big to them. Um, and the policies and things I was talking about, you know, really made them really feel like this was a time for change and, and, and we can step up and we can do it. And so this how young people felt with Bernie Sanders, even though he wasn't young, right? If he was young, the, the young people would love him uh, just as much. But it was about the uh, policies and, and, the, and the, the things that he talked about that really affected them, you know, from student loan debt, uh, from uh, legalization of, of cannabis and, and uh, criminal justice reform. Um, and, you know, even healthcare, you know, and Green New Deal and all these different policies that young people saw as um, things that was going to affect their future and uh, affect their well-being and, and help them create a new life. You know, young people, millennials have the most student loan debt in any generation. You know, why do we uh, have to continue to be $100,000, $200,000 of debt, come home, work in a job to pay off, pay off the debt, not being able to place uh, degrees. And young people are getting tired of that. So um, they're angry, right? Uh, or we're angry. Uh, and um, we wanted to see a candidate that embraced that and showed us how we can get into a more just society and a more fair society. And uh, that's why young people fell behind them. So getting back a bit into your activism, are there certain people that you look up to or that keep you going continually? Yeah, always. As far as activism and well, somebody that's that uh, in the activism in a political world, uh, both uh, would be Dr. Cornell West. Dr. Cornell West is 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 somebody who really um, he's a realist like me, and um, we probably agree at least ninety nine point five percent of the time with you know just how he talks and with the activism and, you know, you don't see many, many older leaders that we today still agree with. Um, this generation of activists still agree with. He's one of them. He's one that never, never conforms, never folds. Uh, he doesn't, when, when Bernie drops out and endorses Joe Biden, he doesn't jump and say, support Joe Biden. You know, he talks about neo-fascism and neo-liberals uh, uh, and, you know, he makes it clear that you know what's real about society and what's real about corporate Democrats and whether you vote for them or not, understand what re what's really going on. He's real about everything, and that's how I talk. And so, from being an elder, and he he speaks speaking like me, like it's just um, it's crazy. I love him. Um, I love uh, you know we were surrogates for Bernie too, and. Uh, we are, he always comes to Chicago and we, we, we sit down and have round tables with youth. And, um, uh, I love Dr. West and, and everything that he stands for. So that's somebody that I look to all the time. And there are many other leaders, uh, here locally that I, that I like, but most important, um, is the next generation of young people. Uh, they inspire me, uh, because they're not, you know, something about the, the, our generation and, and even better about the next generation that, 
they're not falling into any other cycles and um, they're not no they're not um believing in nothing that oh, that that the same establishment folks are talking about like they are growing up as rebels we're not going to live this way and millennials are like here trying to fight for them and they're just trying to jump like let's get it you know and they they don't want being in debt they don't want um you know they want health care they 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 want to have a society for, uh, free of pollution and lead in the water and everything else and um, they 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 are the ones that inspire me right now because um i see how much they're fighting and um so it's just amazing to see they i think that their generation is going to be the generation to help lead us into a better society and we're just there opening the door for them so what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that the Black Lives Matters movement faces currently? Well, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge is, um, you know, criminal justice is, is probably always number one when it comes to what's going on in society, because, you know, a lot of uh, we, we have unjust laws, we have unjust prosecutors, we have unjust um, uh, judges and uh, policies that really, really uh, continuously keeps slavery around in the in the prison system you know and that's essentially um you know i look at the prison system as a new form of slavery um if you looked at uh, past the years down the years since slavery you'll see that the system was created to make sure that they were able to keep us in jail with free labor doing free labor and and uh, not being paid as much uh, as we should be so now, the criminal justice system is, is really what's our biggest challenge is fighting these prosecutors, fighting for more progressive prosecutors, educating people so they understand that these prosecutors and judges are the most important thing on the ballot for us, right? And many folks look past the judges. They see so many judges on the ballot and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to vote for any of them. But they don't know any of the judges or prosecutors, they don't even understand what the prosecutors do until they in jail or they're facing uh, a prosecutor. And um, that's why we have cases like Ahmaud Arbery, you know, where, you know, prosecutors uh, won't charge or, or nothing happens until video release. Our prosecutor here with Kwame McDonald, she didn't charge until 364 days later when the judge released the video. You know, she wasn't going to, she wasn't going to charge him until the video released. Same thing that happened with Ahmaud Arbery. And so we got to understand how important prosecutors and judges, even public defenders. And, and I, I mean, the, the criminal justice system is designed to make money. You know, most of the criminal justice system get paid based on conviction rates. And so that is our biggest uh, uh, issue, I think, that we have to fight. And the biggest problem is educating people on that so that they understand that this is who we have to pay attention to, you know, the attorney generals and, you know, folks who sit on the courts, you know, um, and create law, you know, even our Supreme courts in our states, right. That create the laws for the courts that even allows certain things that hurt um, black folks. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a large task. And it's going to take many, many years uh, of work. And uh, what happens is these cases with, like Ahmaud Arbery and these videos are ways to educate people on these district attorneys and, and how the system is designed and what we need to do later. So um, that's our biggest issue and our biggest problem, education. And especially in the climate movement, at least education is one of the biggest challenges because not enough people know the facts right. and they think they do and they're fine with that. Right. And other people honestly just don't care. Yep. 
do you guys have any plans for how you can do more uh, education currently? Well, you know, I think that um, what you see is different movements happening around the country against certain, um, you know, you got to kind of zero in on one person, right? And that, that that's kind of the, the best way to educate people because they then understand going forward. So we zeroed in on Anita Alvarez, who was the state's attorney then, and we created a movement around, you know, by Anita and all of the different things she was doing. And, you know, we had a movement all across the county on how bad she was and and these are the things that she had control of. And these are the things that she did. And, and you know, really educating people. We zeroed in on her. And she lost um, the biggest landslide in history uh, for a prosecutor, for a state's attorney. And, uh, the new state's attorney, Kim Fox, um, who we supported, uh, won, I think, um, like three to one. I mean, like by a couple of hundred thousand votes. So it was the biggest landslide in history because people were educated, right? And then we had the next election, we had Matthew Cognitt. Um, who was a judge who was um, wrongfully sentencing, uh, like sentencing black folks at, at large rates and um, making, you know, really racial, uh, uh, racist, um, uh, 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 um, I'm sorry, making racist rulings. Basically, he was making racist rulings uh, on the court. And we zeroed in on one or two of those. I mean, we launched a, a large campaign. It was a large campaign through Cook County that fought this one judge. Even though there were 30 judges on the ballot, we had to, to tell them, vote no on this judge, vote no. And everybody was passing out um, these little cards all across the city, and there was videos, and was commercials, and it was just a large movement against this one person. Now, there were other bad judges on there that made it through. We used him as the example, right? We were able to do it first time in history to be able to, to get folks to vote no on a um, retention on a judge uh, here in Cook County. So that happened. So now people are like, okay, well, we need to pay attention to judges and what they stand for. So uh, that education piece, because um, people's attention spans are so short and, you know, it's, you can't put so much on them. You got to kind of zero in on the bad guy or the bad woman and make them the example and use that as the education piece. And um, that's essentially what, what folks are doing uh, around the country and what we're doing here in, in the county. So activism is constantly evolving. I mean, you take activism from the 1800s and compare it to today's, there's not a huge amount of similarities. Where do you see the future of activism in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the fight is, is uh, it's still large. Uh, I think that, you know, over the years, in my lifetime, we've been able to get, you know, uh, we've been able to scratch the surface a little bit. But, um, you know, this fight is going to take a while. You know, we've had many years of people set stagnant, many years of people sold out and, and took deals. And um, so we got a lot of work to kind of overcome that. And um, at the end of the day, I think that young people um, are being brought, the next generations are not thinking like, our older generations probably, you know, majority of them are doing, which is why they're voting the way that they do. And that's, that's what gives me hope that they'll continue to fight. They'll continue to fight for issues when there's an issue that's important. They're standing up, you know, Gen Z is standing up uh, right along millennials at each moment and making sure that they understand and more involved politically. You know, I think that's another thing is that um, usually in the past, uh, prior generations after the, uh, or generations after the civil rights movement, in my opinion, 
Um, and those moments in those years, um, they kind of, you know, uh, got a little comfortable, right? And was not fighting as hard as they was um, to get civil rights or to get these voting rights bills passed that they were getting at that time. After those things happened, it was kind of like a comfortability, right? It's kind of like, all right, well, well, we got somewhere, y'all. Let's let's chill out for a while. Um, and I think in that time period, they were able to create the systems that now, um, uh, you know, make America as racist as it is today. And, and, and they people weren't paying attention to a lot of the things that they were doing, a lot of policies, a lot of people that they were putting in place. So now we're here today and we're woke, as we say, right, on what's going on. I think Gen Z and the next generations are not going to drop the ball and get comfortable. They know that the fight is large and they know whether it's climate change or whether it's gun violence or whether it's police brutality or whatever issue that's important, they are, they're, they're going to continue fighting from young all the way um, until they get older and continue ushering in the next generations of activists. And um, that's going to get us, I think, by the time I'm old man and my kids are, you know, uh, at the forefront, um, you know, we'll have a way better society than we do uh, today. When you look at the graphs around there, you can see that, you know, back in 1966, we had about um, 33% of youth voters participating. Now we're down to around 20. And that's especially, you see a lot of presidential candidates and congressional candidates focusing on the youth because they want them to vote. Why do you think youth are so scared to come out and vote? Do you think they're just being lazy or scared or just don't no, care? No, no, it's none of those reasons. Uh, the reason is they're not um, they're not excited about the uh, who their con- uh, candidates are. You know, the truth of the matter is, and you know, I don't blame them for not uh, for looking at this racist system that's been put in place. That well, you got the electoral college and you got these tell of two evils that are always in the forefront. Um, to where they say, well, no, we'll rather just sit out until you guys respect us enough to change um, uh, the system to where we, we're not constantly picking guys who don't give a, give a damn about us. You know what I'm saying? And I don't blame them for saying that. Well, uh, they understand that uh, uh, if they see a moment where change can really happen, and that means that if they go to the polls and, and the change will happen, they will. Right. But they're calculated. They're transactional. They're not they're not being um, lifelong Democrats. Democrats. That's another thing is that millennials and Gen Z don't give a damn about a party. Right. They're what who is going to give us uh, this and, and change our lives? Who's going to move forward this policy? Well, it's usually not ever a Republican, but, you know, they're, they're still uh, waiting on a person that's going to step up and move the policies that they want to see. That's the only way that they'll step up and vote at, um, at large numbers. Uh, and so they're not, they don't believe in just voting just to vote. They believe in voting with um, a, a, a transaction at the end of it, you know, that's going to uh, change the lives of, of them and their kids. Um, and I don't blame them, you know, most of the time. While I'm a voter that has voted at every election that I've been able to, I don't blame the next generation for being angry to a point where, you know, because they're not being spoken to. Politicians don't talk to them. Politicians don't come to their schools. Politicians don't move forward policies that uh, affect them. But then you want them to vote. 
no, they, they deserve, you know, when they are 18 and they're able to vote, they, they deserve to be talked to. They deserve policies that matter to them. Um, and you don't just usher in and say, well, well, because we gave you the right that you just need to vote and play any, many, mighty mo. You know, that's, that's not how it should go. You know, we need to move for candidates, um, that, um, that, that are, are talking about things that matter to them. And, and that is what I want to start seeing. And that's why Bernie Sanders is such a great job with the youth is his policy was pointed at the youth, you know, all those college relief programs and universal right. health care. That is directed at the youth, and that's why the youth supported him. Right. And it's another, uh, and I want to say this real quick, and it's an educational piece on primaries too, right? And, um, you know, throughout our school system, we don't do enough education on politics, and we don't do enough education on what, uh, how elections are ran and primaries and things of that sort. And so um, a lot of young people, because they got lives and got things going on, they don't understand it primaries is the time to choose your candidate even you know so it's another educational thing young people always vote more on the general elections because everybody's voting at the same time uh, and it's just this widespread national you know movement um and so that's another thing we'll go ahead so what advice would you give to someone looking to get started in activism find an issue that is important to you and, and join that movement whether that is with the organization, whether that is with a radical activist that is running for the uh, position in your in your your uh, homeland, find a mission and join something. And when you join something and you are fighting, uh, at some point it's going to lead you to where you need to be. And uh, it's just about being active and involved. Don't sit at home, uh, but get involved in something, and that'll put you around the people that are part of that movement. Um, and lead you to where you need to fight and, and where we could use you as a soldier. But find an issue that matters to you that and tackle what you faced growing up. You know, you may face, face health problems because you um, live in a community with a lot of pollution or near a refinery. And you may want to fight for climate change like hell. You may be like me who've seen people, several people shot, you know, and lost lots of friends to gun violence. And gun violence may be the issue that you want to fight for, but um, find an issue that you're personal about um, and get up and, and do something about it. Find an organization, find a candidate, find find something, and, and that's going to lead you where you need to go. How can our listeners um, help you out or get involved with what you're working on? Yeah, they can always follow uh, my social media at Jamal Green everywhere. Uh, it's not hard to find me, J-A apostrophe capital M-A-L Green, beside you. I spell my name or my at names on Twitter is like at J-A-Y-M-A-L Green, verified check mark. And, you know, I post a lot about what's going on and what I'm doing and they can follow along and get involved. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Listen to the future of activism on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Transcripts and show notes are posted to futurex.fm. We're part of the Future X Podcast Network. I'm Joe Hobbs.